Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. And there is Mark Kostelik, ladies and gentlemen. That clip courtesy of Sportsnet. Two-goal performance at a fight. Well, actually, had a goal and a fight at the same time. That's probably the first time a guy's ever gotten an NHL first goal and gotten in a fight at the exact same time. So that was Mark Kostelik. Uh, Two-goal performance as the Sens win on Saturday night, 6-4 to four over the Canadiens. Welcome to the show, everybody. Coming up today, we're going to talk about the road trip that was and the game against Montreal. DJ Smith on the road trip that was and... For the first time since 2014, an American Hockey League Senator team is going to the playoffs. All still ahead here today on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. My name is Steve Warren, of course, and I'm joined, of course, by the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? Things are good, Steve. It was I let uh, a little uh, inside information. We actually saw each other today. That doesn't happen very often. Yes, I've got myself a brand new Slave Lake Ice Dogs hockey bag. I was just, I was thinking to myself, because I played a lot of hockey this winter, and I've got this sort of canvas sort of thing going on that I thought would be cool because it's an oversized goalie bag. I hate it so much. <laughs> and so I've been looking for a new bag, uh, and all of a sudden, my pal Greg gives me one. Thank you kindly. Is it big enough? <laughs> the thing is huge. I haven't uh, filled it up yet, so uh, I'm, okay. I've got a game tomorrow night. The championship, ladies and gentlemen, of the oh. uh, the Golden Blades League. It's going to be something. <laughs> <laughs> well, geez, I might have to come out and see that. Oh, yeah. There's still some good uh, seats available. So for the, for the good listener out there, if you want, if you want to get in contact, SensNationPodcast at Outlook.com. I can probably hook you up with some seats in the empty building. Now, that might be a good place to start today, actually, Greg, talking about attendance from a losing standpoint. Attendance is always going to dip a little bit when you go through this, you know, scorched earth rebuild like the Sens have. But I don't think there's any question that a lot of people have been in the Mel- Melnick out camp. I'm thinking to myself, I'm just sort of wondering aloud, like, what are season tickets going to be this summer? Are people going to be true to their word that, you know, if that guy's not running the team, they're going to start going to games again? I'll be keen to see if uh, if it was all talk or if there's going to be action. Yeah, I agree. It's always easy to say things like that when you're when you're ticked off and to say, well, I'm not going if he's in charge or, you know, well, OK, put your money where your mouth is, people. He's no longer in charge. Uh, attendance has been really good. I know we we had some conversations when when they first started allowing fans in the building again this year. We were a little worried because it was like at 11 or 12,000 a night, but it's been very good for the last I don't know, four or five games. I think you did the homework on this one, didn't you? It was a sellout against the Habs. What were we doing before that? Well, I could tell you, and it's Paul Nizan who piqued me to this. He writes, hey, guys, love the pod. Question for you. Do you know what the Ottawa Senators' average attendance has been since Melnick's passing? I'm curious to know if there's been a significant increase or not. That's Paul from Cornwall. And so I I did, in fact, do the math. It's been sort of a small sample size because you've had some original six teams come in here in the Red Wings, the Leafs, and the Habs. And the Red Wing game was 16-4. The Leafs were 18-6. The Habs were around the same at around 18 and change. But Winnipeg and Nashville, meanwhile, were 12,000 apiece, like low 12,000s, 12-1 and 12-2. Mm-hmm. So pretty small sample size to start with. I think the, the fall is going to really be the litmus test here. If they're still drawing 12, then that would be something to raise an eyebrow about because you know, ownership wouldn't be an issue. COVID wouldn't be an issue. 
they should be a better team. Um, I mean, I hate to put too much stock in this last month here because we've seen good months out of this team before that did not parlay into good starts the following year. Hopefully that they bucked that trend in the fall. But uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this fall in, in the way of ticket sales. Yeah, well, I wonder if we'll be privy to that. I wonder if they they, they will share with us uh, what uh, season ticket sales are at. Like, what are they at right now? What are, what are they going to be at throughout the course of the summer? Obviously, the summer is when you're going to be selling. Uh, you're not waiting around till uh, till September to try to sell season tickets. So yeah. I, I just wonder if we'll be privy to those kind of numbers throughout the course of the summer, and or maybe some of the insiders can get uh, scoops for and, and and let that kind of information out because uh, you'd like to see the the season ticket base get I don't know like is twelve uh, unrealistic twelve or thirteen thousand season tickets. Yeah, the proof will be in the pudding. We'll see this summer. But it's a funny thing about re- reporting season ticket sales. Generally, when they're really good, yeah, they'll trumpet that from the rooftops. If they're not really good, it's uh, like pulling it's, teeth to get that information out. Well, yeah, but you—you, you, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head there. It's the, the combination of the of the dissatisfaction with the owner that problem's gone, and the dissatisfaction with the quality of the players and the quality of the team that should be gone. Like this is an exciting time. This is a this is a ground floor opportunity. Get in there and get your season tickets now. Uh, while the going's good, you might be getting a better deal these days than you will a couple of years from now when they're really good. Yeah. It's a COVID hangover, I think. People get into the habit of staying home. After a summer of being out and doing more things, I think people would be more apt to uh, start heading to, toward the rink again. And uh, But we'll see. Um, so again, the, uh, the Sens win on Saturday night, 6-4 to four, over the Montreal Canadiens. And that was a really nasty road trip when you think about the turnaround there. Early in the week, you had Vancouver and Seattle on Monday and Tuesday. And then you had Columbus on Friday. So that road trip is a not an easy one, obviously. And then you get home and immediately you got to play Montreal the next night. And that's pretty good performance all in all. If you come away with a W under circumstances like that, you don't really get too much into the descriptions. I thought there were some really glitchy moments in that game. But at the end of the day, in those circumstances, you take the W and you say, start the car. <laughs> well, it, did, it looked ugly early. Uh, they were outshot 16 to two in the first period. I can remember looking at it going, holy smokes, like it's the Habs for God's sakes. They're now back officially in last place. Like what's going on here? Um, but I mean, Anton Forsberg held strong. Uh, the Senators of the 16 shots, I don't know that all that many of them were grade A, you know, serious scoring opportunities. And then in the second period, the Senators came out and just like, wow, what was it? Five goals in the second period or four anyway. And, and hey, the third and fourth line bringing up the slack for you. You mentioned Castellick. We, we let off the show with it. Gets two thirds of the Gordie Howe in one play. Pretty impressive. And that line was, was strong all night. Yeah, uh, Scott Sabrin was like just feeding Mark Castellick all night and <laughs> a couple of assists in that one, especially the second goal. That was actually like, that was the skill you'd see out of a first line, not your fourth line. Great play by Sabrin to intercept the puck down low below the goal line, finds Castellick right away out in front. Castellick makes a really slick move. I'm like, who are these guys? These guys yeah. are not aware they're supposed to be fourth line protectors out there and hustle guys, energy guys, and uh, good to see Good to see you get that secondary scoring because you got to have it if you're going to have any success whatsoever. So, yeah, the Castellick thing was really interesting. I'm, And I think I read today, I think Sense Communication put it out that that was the first time in NHL history that a man has scored his first NHL goal and gotten in a fight right away. 
Correct. It was. I, I, I went down the rabbit hole as the game was going on. I was trying to find a list of Gordie Howe hat tricks and uh, who's had them and, and how many Ottawa Senators have had them. And the best I could come up with was that Chris Neal leads with four, but I could not find a list of any other Senators listed anywhere. Uh, I, I did I did learn that Gordie Howe, I think I knew this already, Gordie Howe only had two himself. Right. And uh, Rick Tockett's your all-time leader and Brendan Shanahan's second and yada, yada. But I couldn't really learn a lot about Ottawa Senator Gordie Howe hat tricks beyond Chris Neal's four. Stutzla taken to the boards by Gallagher. Two of them will mix it up here. And we've got a roughing penalty. I think Brendan Gallagher is going, yeah. I think he threw a punch. I, 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 I going to And that clip, courtesy of Sportsnet. Is the Gallagher Stutzla feud going to continue on, or I don't know, is that the end of it, or is this thing going to linger for for the foreseeable future? It, it, it was funny. The one, the one you mentioned there, when they both got up and looked at the ref, yeah, you could almost read Stutzel's lips and was like, "On who?" Like, the, it looked like he thought he was getting one too, or he was getting the only one, or I don't know. He he stood up to everything though. Gallagher was riding him all night, either in his ear or or I was going to say wood wood in his back, but he was he was chopping at him all night and chirping at him all night. And the kid was up for all of it and toughed his way through it. Um, he, he drew another penalty also in the game. Uh, he looked real good on the power play, uh, being booed in his own rink. Can't be very nice. No, maybe, you know, maybe it's something that, that lingers on, but I would think it's probably over. You know, you, you, you had your say, you challenged the kid on the ice. He responded and basically told you to get lost and, and gave it back to you throughout the course of the game. Yeah, I, it's done. Uh, Gallagher, did you catch the the pregame? Gallagher didn't shake Brady Kachuk's hand in the opening face-off. I was thinking back to the other game there. Who was it in Detroit? Dylan Larkin snubbed Kachuk. But at least this time, Gallagher realized it, recognized it, and apologized later. I guess after the game, the press conference or something, he said, yeah, sorry, I I got distracted or whatever. But despite the apology, once the game was over, I held a news conference. And uh, as Brendan Gallagher did to Tim Stutzla, I basically gave Brendan Gallagher a talking to in my media availability. (laughs) I said, when I was 10 years old, our coach had a rule. You shake the guy's hand. There's kids watching. You're role models. And if I was a teammate of his, I'd tell him to smarten up. There you go. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. There's kids watching. Did you tweet that? I saw, I saw a tweet from somebody that was like, there's kids watching. Was that yours? Yeah, I tweeted tweet, <laughs> something along those lines for sure. Um, but you mentioned the Stutzla booing thing, and that kind of gets back to what we were talking about. You get better ticket sales, more season ticket sales. The opposition doesn't get in there. And it's enough for the average Sens fan when there's more blue team jerseys in there when the Leafs visit than there are Sens jerseys. It's enough games like Saturday when there, I think there probably were a few more Hab jerseys than there were Sens jerseys when Montreal visits. That's frustrating unto itself. But one of your star young players, 20-year-old kid out there, he's getting booed in his own building. I don't care how we got there. That's got that's just unacceptable. That would depress me if I was a pro hockey player. Well, I think it might have motivated him. Maybe. I, he, you know, like like everything you just, for all the reasons you just laid out, it's wrong. But 
they had to know it was going to happen, right? It, they had to know, hey, Timmy, if this game's in Montreal, you're going to get booed every time you touch the puck. But the game's in Ottawa, and it's going to be all Hab fans or a lot of Hab fans, so be prepared for it. Like, they had to know right. it was going to come. So I, I think he was probably mentally prepared for it that the first time it happened, he wasn't shocked by it. Right. All right, here's DJ Smith talking about the road trip and some interesting comments about the state of the team right now. Credit to our guys. I, I mean, that was a long trip. And to come back on the back-to-back, they're waiting on us. Um, you know, we found a way to win. That's the only way I can say. Um, we weren't as sharp as we've been, but uh, there was a lot of emotion. It was a fun game. Um, Mark Kastelark, if you can, just offer an opinion on his game and what that line did and produced at key times. Well, I mean, they forechecked. They, I mean, they scored, uh, you know, two goals. They were a presence. He got in a fight. Um, you know, I mean, we don't win without him tonight. And, uh, you know, Casty's showing us every day that he wants to be a regular, and it certainly looks like like he's well on his way. You get Thomas Shabbat back, obviously, in the lineup here. Uh, an emotional boost, I would assume, for everybody involved seeing him. Yeah, for sure. And tough for Shabby. He hasn't even had a practice with us. I mean, I don't think I would let anyone else come in and play in that scenario. Um, but him being the leader and the guy that, that you know, is to me uh, one of the most, if not the most important piece to this whole thing when it all settles down, um, you know, and, and timing and all those things. But that'll come back for him. But uh, it's a huge difference with him out there. The third period, really Yeah, they were all over us. I mean... It, I guess I would say it's losing it's losing hockey when you you know how many times you know are we losing in the game and we you know pepper them with a bunch of shots at the end and you know you kind of feel good but at the end of the day I'll take the win over that um, you know we didn't do all the things we wanted to we took some penalties but like I said we, we didn't have good legs I thought we looked you know probably pretty tired mentally after that trip but we found a way. Do you think though like that first period kind of set up some good intensity in that game though? Yeah, we were a little wild. I mean, you could see Sabrum was looking, you know, for guys out there and no one wanted them. Um, you know, but we were racing around out of position. We gave up some stuff. We're, you know, we've been really good with our structure. That's why we've stayed in games and, and won games. And that's probably why we gave up so many shots today. Our structure wasn't very good, but our emotion was really good. I was going to mention Scott Sabrum. He came in today, got two assists, he blocked a shot. I mean, talk, talk about his contribution. Well, his contribution is. is is, you know, being, you know, Timmy and all those guys kind of big brother. I mean, if you want to take liberties on him, he, you know, he's as tough as anyone there is. Uh, but also he's improved his game, and that's one of the things Troy Mann likes about him down there. He thinks he's a huge piece there. Um, he's got him on that uh, power play unit. He, he's really improved his game, and if he keeps getting better like that, you know, uh, you know uh, he's, he helps us here. Uh, the guys love him, and he certainly gave us a comfort level tonight. How did you think Tim Stutzla responded to? Like it felt every time he touched the puck, the crowd was uh, kind of activated. Um, how did you think he responded to a little bit of the extra spotlight tonight? Oh, I thought he was good. I mean, that's, for a young kid, I don't think he likes all that stuff. He just wants to play. He's going to be a real good player for a long time. But one thing about Tim, he don't back down. He ain't, he ain't backing down to nobody, um, and he's just going to keep getting better. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of pressure, I would say, for a young guy to have all this hype following him. He just wants to play. And, and it was a small sample size, but it was our first look at Shabbat and Hamannik. Um, 
Did you see anything there? No, it's it's not fair. Shabby hasn't practiced with him, hasn't. You know, it, like I said, there's not many guys that can just go right in after that kind of time out, time off and play good. Shabby will get a practice in, and he'll be significantly better uh, in every game going, and then that, that'll that make Hammer look even better. I mean, Shabbat can make a partner, and Hammer will, you know, uh, keep it simple, and I think they'll end up being well. They're real good together. DJ, you get two goals from the Kesthetic line. You also get two goals from the Watson and Kelly line. Just how impressive today continue to be to you know provide that depth scoring they've been doing a lot like recently. There are they've been our best line outside of the power play and our big guys scoring. You know some nice goals. The Gambrell line's been our most consistent over the last little bit here. They can play against anybody. They check. Now they're contributing offensively. They finish every check. Um, they've been a real good boost for us. All right, let's take a quick time out on the program. We want to thank our great sponsor, title sponsor, Jim K. Ford, your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. When you're buying a vehicle, you've got concerns. They want You want to make sure you're making a good decision. And Jim K. Ford removes all the worries with a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage. Vehicle history report. Purchase financing rates from 1.99%, 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. That is peace of mind. So check out jimkford.com. They're at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. Drake Batherson uh, joining us at weekly on the program here. Pleased to have him. And I wonder, he's back on the line with Kachuk and Norris. I wonder, do you think he's a better fit on that second tier? I don't even know if to call it a second tier. It's so good when Batherson's on it too with, with Tim Strusla and Alex Formanton. Where do you like him better? Do you like the eggs in one basket line or that that line with Tim Stutzla? I like it when there's two pairs that are producing. Um, right. Unfortunately, when when they were doing it that way, when when Joseph was out, it the top two pair, the number one pair, I guess Norris and Kachuk was not producing the same. And uh, suddenly it was uh, Jimmy and Jimmy was scoring there for those couple of games. So then for some reason, Batherson got moved up and then Formanton, who was cold, kind of got warm and kind of got hot again. So I just I'm, I'm with DJ who wants to establish two pairs in Kachuk and Norris and in Batherson and, and Stutzla. It's just a matter of finding those other pieces like here we are again. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is or when we record. We know we got to talk top six forward, right? It's yeah. it's finding two more guys, whether that's you already have them, you know, whether it's Joseph and somebody else in the system, whether Joseph and Formanton, or whether it's you know Connor Brown was out again too, so that kind of screwed things up. So it's just I I prefer to have two pairs and find a third guy for each of them. Yeah, you've got Batherson, Kachuk, Norris, and Stutzla. I think those are going to be high end skill guys in the league for many years. And then I agree with you. I think you can get away with Brown or Formanton, but then you need at least one more guy to come in. They don't have that guy to fill out the top six nicely for you. So you're going to have to make at least one deal, I think, to if you want to be a playoff team for next season, if that's the aspiration and it sounds like it is, then you're going to have to bring in one more forward. I think everybody's clear on that. But I sure do like Batherson with Kachuk and Norris. They really seem to find each other. And uh, not to you know not to blow sunshine up our weekly guests, but but the processing that that guy has is phenomenal. Like on that Norris goal, it was like I think it was Kachuk over to Batherson far side of the ice, and Batherson was already immediately ready to return it back the other way. And the Habs defenders were just like, "What the?" Like Batherson's processing of offensive opportunities 
It just seems like he's a step ahead, does it not? Yeah, he's quick enough. He's smart enough. Like, like they practice it, they talk about it, they know it. It's it's part of game planning in the National Hockey League. Watch how often you see a pass go from outside lane to outside lane. You want to cross the what's known as the Royal Road there, that line going from net to net down the middle of the rink. So all entries want to go way cross ice like that. But he's quick enough and smart enough to see it and 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 know it's there and make the right pass like immediately. And it was a gorgeous goal. Like those guys, it was their third tic-tac-toe of the of the week, wasn't it? The three of them just looked so good together. But again, does that affect Stutzla? Does does Batherson playing there uh bring down the production of Stutzla? is Joseph the right guy it was a small sample size and now he's out, but was he the guy who can play up there? And then, then you got a choice between Brown and, and Formington for the, for the other top six guy, or you go find somebody. I don't know how it's all going to flesh out in the end. I love watching Batherson play with those two, but I still think I want him to stay with Stutzla and find somebody else to play left side there. Thomas Shabbat back in the lineup. I was a little surprised by mm-hmm. that. Not, I shouldn't say surprised. I mean, it's, I guess if I had my druthers, and I, and I put that out on social media, and I probably had more people agreeing with me than disagreeing with me, but everybody was interested in it. I was in the mode of, okay, there's only five games to play. What is the value of shoehorning Thomas Shabbat back into the lineup right now? He Okay, he's, he's feeling good and he's healthy, but he's not going to be exactly in midseason form per se. And to me, when you're not in midseason form or even late season form, like to me that potential for risking the run, running the risk of injury is there and and my my focus is I want everybody to ideally get to the summer healthy have a full summer of training and report for work when it starts to matter again in the fall I don't want any setbacks from guys who are you know maybe coming in at 90% health wise and certainly nowhere near 100% as far as their fitness goes I think the world championships might have factored into it Ah, I think uh, I think Shabbat wants to play for Canada in the, in the Worlds. Capuano's on the, or sorry, uh, DJ's on the coaching staff, and DJ is probably running the D on that staff. Um, so he probably wants uh, Shabbat there on that team. And if he's a healthy guy and he's one hundred percent healthy, then why not get him in and, and get him back in a game shape if you can, so he's ready to go for the Worlds. Down to the minors, the Binghamton Senators, Binghamton Senators. The Belleville Senators, because I'm going to talk about Binghamton here as well, so it's not that, that bad a deal. Anyway, Cleveland beat Rochester 2 nothing today, so the B-Sens are going to the playoffs. And I was, uh, so I did a little legwork. Okay, this seems like a while since the minor league team did anything in the playoffs, and I was blown away to see exactly what they've done, and that's not much. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2014. That year... Some guy named Mark Stone led them in playoff <laughs> scoring with four points in four games, tied, by the way, with Stefan DaCosta. So it was 2014, and they'd lose in the first round that year three games to one. And that one win, by the way, that's their only playoff game that a Belleville or Binghamton Senator team has won since 2011 when they hoisted the Calder Cup in the American Hockey League. Isn't that crazy to have Jeez. that little success? Wow, eh? Well, you know, it's surprising, but it's not. They they have not. They've always had a younger team. Um, the, the prospects that they have had are very young. They've never really 
what's the right word here, how to say it politely. Like it's never been a financial consideration for them to stock that team with veterans and try to win. Right. It's more, it's almost always been about nothing but development. And, and therefore, yeah, I, I guess it makes sense that they have not had a lot of success. If there was anybody really good down there, he got called up and ended up making the big club because the big club was no damn good. So it, it's, it takes time to build up some guys that are in their mid to late twenties who are pretty decent minor league pros so that you could have some continuity to your program. And they just haven't had that. In fairness, in 2020, they were probably headed to the playoffs, but the True. American Hockey League playoffs got canceled that year. That was when they had Josh Norris, Drake Batherson combining for 115 points atop the stand. And Formanton was there as well. Abramov was still there and playing very well. You had uh, Rudolph's Balsers, Eric Brandstrom, Philip Schlappick, Parker Kelly. So that was a very good American Hockey League team that was going to make some noise in those playoffs. But <laughs> just their luck. The one year that they uh, they do look like they're a team to be reckoned with, the playoffs actually get canceled due to COVID. So that sucked for them. Uh, we'll close it out today with news that is, I think, goes well beyond you know any allegiance to any given team. This is the Sens Nation podcast, but uh, everybody's got a thought on Guy Lafleur. In fact, as we're recording this here on April twenty fourth tonight, the appropriately the Habs were taking on the Boston Bruins probably the Canadians' greatest rival, particularly during the Guy Lafleur years. But they honored Guy Lafleur, who passed away last week at the age of 70. And I'm sure, Greg, you're, you're of that vintage where you got to see most all, uh, as, a, as, as am I, uh, most all of Guy Lafleur's amazing career. Yeah, I, you, you were a Hab fan. I hated them, begrudgingly <laughs> had a little bit of respect for the guy, I guess, because he could score goals. But I, I mean, think of the the mid seventies. It was it was Guy Lafleur was the best player in the league uh, at that time, right? Like the when the Habs uh, beat the Flyers and then went on to their, uh, then went on and had their their four in a row. Uh, they were the best team in the league, and and he was their best player, and therefore no doubt he was the best player in the game. You know, really he ascended. His real breakout year was about the last year that Bobby Orr was really something at the top of his game. So you kind of had a transition there from Orr to to Lafleur, and you had a bit of Bobby Clark, I guess, in the middle there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a, an exciting guy who took you out of your seat and had the, had the flowing hair and scoring goals like crazy. He was uh, and, and a god in the province of Quebec and in the city of Montreal. And But, yeah, like like think of it. We, we were in Ottawa, and if you were an NHL, like you were a serious hockey fan – to see an NHL game, whether you liked them or not, you went to Montreal, right? Yeah. So I'm sure that for the first, I don't know, probably the first 10 or 15 NHL games that you saw in your life live were in Montreal, but you were yeah. a Hab fan, right? Yeah. Oh, I was for sure. I mean, it was so exciting to watch that guy. I was a big Hab fan and he was their best player. First guy to get 50 goals in six straight seasons and record a hundred points in six straight seasons. So it was a that dynasty for four years, and he was the the king of it. So yeah, it was uh, certainly sad news to hear them passing away at the age of seventy. And you you probably never see that again. A scenario like it, as existed, I think it was seventy one. I want to say leading up to the draft that year, in that Montreal had secured California's draft pick. I think mm-hmm. they'd give up Ernie Hickey or someone like that to get him two years earlier. Yeah, and so. 
they 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 know they've got California's pick and they knew California was going to be bad and all of a sudden LA is worse. Mm-hmm. LA's <laughs> dropping down and LA's going to get the first pick and so to to make sure that they got LaFleur and held on to number 1 overall they, they I think it was Ralph Backstrom I want to say. It was Ralph Backstrom. Yes it was. Yeah. Ralph yeah. Backstrom sent him to who, LA. Who who by the way also briefly played for the Ottawa Civics of the WHA. You're right. Anyway, so he uh, he gets traded to help L.A., and uh, sure enough, the Kings finish out of California, and the rest, they say, is history. The Habs get Guy Lafleur, and Montreal fans are certainly glad for it. We shall call it a day right there. Uh, any final thoughts before we head out the door, Greg? I'm looking forward to uh, to these fa- last few games here. They're, what They've won three in a row now, and we didn't mention it. What's the April record right now? Eight, four, and one. Eight, four, yeah. and one. Imagine if they could just have an October like that. That would be nice. But here yeah. we are. As you say, we've seen this movie, but I'm looking forward to seeing how they finish up the rest of this season and the and playoff races uh, winding down and getting into the playoff time. And it's it's an exciting time to be a hockey fan, if not a Senator fan, at least. Yeah. Three games to go. It is going to be the Devils in Ottawa on Tuesday. Sens will host the Panthers on Thursday, and then the season ends in Philly as uh, Ottawa takes on the Flyers. So uh, our website is SendsNationHockey.com, and one of the things you can do there is uh, become a Patreon member. I want So we need to thank Neil Ross, Adam Newton, and Scott Costin. Thank you, fellas, for being, uh, well, they're big rig podcast members. So that's like four bucks, I think. You know, it's oh, got the jersey yeah. number four. Huh? Okay. Yeah, huh? yeah, nice. Yeah. See how that works? So if you want to be a Patreon member, just check out SensNationHockey.com. It sounds like it's time for me to get some sleep. Greg, enjoy your, uh, enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you soon. For sure, Steve. Have a good night. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers, or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.